Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. An election year has begun with Rishi Sunak still struggling in the polls and continuing to face huge challenges both at home and abroad. His first appearance of the year on Sunday with Laura Koonsberg didn't get off to an easy start. Koonsberg surprised him with leaked documents she said implied he had had major doubts about the efficacy of the Rwanda returns deal when acting as Chancellor in 2022. Sunak said he hadn't seen the documents but brushed off the accusations, claiming it was his job as Chancellor to ask tough questions about any proposal. He told Koonsberg that his actions on getting returns deals with Albania and Rwanda were proof that he believed in the importance of a deterrent. But it's important to be crystal clear with our audience here. We're asking you about this controversial scheme to send migrants arriving on UK shores to Rwanda. We're not asking you about what happened with the returns deal with Albania. Do you deny completely that you ever had any doubts about the efficacy or the value for money of sending migrants to Rwanda? Right, so let's separate these things. I absolutely believe in the value and importance of having deterrence. And Albania and Rwanda are linked because they're both returns agreements that allow you to create deterrence. Now, in terms of the scheme, I was Chancellor at the time. My job is to make sure that we get value for money for taxpayers to ask questions whenever, whenever anybody wants to spend taxpayers' money. I would expect the same thing of the Chancellor now. So, of course, I would rigorously scrutinise any proposal that crossed my desk. But ultimately, I agreed with the Prime Minister and we funded the proposal. So That's would, the proof is in my actions. You admit then that you had hesitation about whether or not the scheme was value for money. You've told people when you moved into number 10 you wanted the highest standards of accountability and integrity. So what we're asking about is being accountable for how you came to that decision. Did you then have hesitations about whether it would be value for money? I, I, think, I think you're really... I think expanding this beyond what it is, as Chancellor... My job is to scrutinise and ask tough questions of every single proposal that crosses my desk. That, I mean, that's my job, well, as when I was Chancellor. It's the Chancellor's job so, now, so, because ultimately so... this is all taxpayers' money. And just because someone's asking tough questions doesn't mean that they don't believe in the proposal. And what they should do, though, is make sure that it is gone through a process of rigorous scrutiny. And I went through that process and ended up being satisfied that it would deliver, which is why I agreed with the Prime Minister to fund the proposal. And then when I became Prime Minister, we've obviously put new legislation before Parliament and we've got the Albania scheme up and running, which is a similar version of deterrence. And not, While Sunak is scrutinised on the delivery of his government's policy, his opponent continues to play a cautious game. In his first speech of 2024, Keir Starmer went big on hope and change and described apathy as the biggest challenge we face, bar none. However, Labour continued to be reluctant to outline specific big policies, instead focusing on the failings of the government. Wilfred Fost, covering for Trevor Phillips on Sky News, pointed out that if there is apathy and a low turnout at the upcoming election, Labour's cautious approach might be a contributing factor. Starmer disagreed, arguing that it was the poor performance of the government that created apathy. Starmer said he wanted to fight for more housing, reducing NHS waiting lists and halve violence against women and girls. Frost suggested they sounded like goals rather than specific policies. You've said very clearly, you know, bring it on. Uh, you've also said uh, in your speech earlier this week that the biggest challenge we face, bar none, is apathy. Yeah. 
I think it's fair to say at the top of this interview, you wouldn't give me a tax that you're definitely going to cut. We've seen your party usher in the government's changes to immigration without a vote against it last month. Um, do, do you think that if there is apathy uh, and there is low turnout, that it's actually on you playing it a bit safe? No, I don't think that. I think it's a reflection of the last 14 years of government. I mean, we've got very strong... I want to go make that argument. 1.5 million houses will be built under an incoming Labour government. If you are struggling to buy a house, that's worth fighting for. I want to fight for 2 million extra NHS appointments for those who are on the waiting list. If you're on the waiting list, that is worth fighting for. I want 700,000 appointments for dentistry, urgent appointments. Um, if you're waiting for an appointment in NHS dentistry, that's worth fighting for. And I want to halve violence against women and girls. And that is worth fighting for. These are big differences between us and the government. They're all worth uh, fighting for. And that's why this is a year of hope and change. This week, an ITV drama brought the Horizon IT scandal at the post office, during which more than 700 sub-postmasters were wrongly convicted of theft and fraud, back into focus. Since then, 50 new potential victims have come forwards. Koonsberg asked Sunak what the government was doing to speed up the process of compensation which has made little progress. Sunak said it was important that the victims get the justice they deserve and that the government had already paid out £150 million in compensation. He confirmed that the Justice Secretary was looking at further measures, such as exonerating all those affected, but said there were legal complexities involved. Only 11 out of 475 of the full and final compensation deals have been completed. Can you set a deadline? Can you tell people like Susan when it's all going to be sorted out? So, look, I, everyone has been shocked by watching what they have done over the past few, um, well, the past few days and, and beyond, and it is an appalling miscarriage of justice. Obviously, it's something that happened a very long time ago in the 90s, uh, but actually seeing it and hearing about it again, it just shows what an appalling miscarriage of justice it is for everyone affected, and it's important that those people now get the justice that they deserve. Should they all that, be exonerated? And that's, and that's what the compensation schemes are about. So the government has paid out about 100 and, I think, over almost £150 million to thousands of people already. Of course, of course we want to get the money to the people as quickly as possible. That's why there are interim payments of up to, I think, £600,000 that can be made. There are three different schemes available, and for anyone who's affected, they should come forward talk to the relevant bodies so they can get their case worked through but as quickly as possible. But will you take extra measures on top of those? There's a report this morning that your Justice Secretary is considering looking at either exonerating everybody, that's mm. a recommendation that has been made, or taking the post office's ability to investigate and yeah. prosecute away. Would you like to see that happen? So the Justice Secretary is looking at the things that you've described. It wouldn't be right to preempt that process. Obviously, there's legal complexity in all of those things, but he is looking at exactly those areas that you've described, it's right that we find every which way we can do to try and make this right for the people who were so, as I said, wrongfully treated at the time. The compensation is a part of that, but as you say, there are legal things that may be possible as well. Responding to Sunak's comments, Lee Castleton, who is a victim of the scandal, said the process to find justice had been like a war. He told Koonsberg that although some money had been paid out, the victims had paid more than that out in lawyers' fees. Castleton asked why it was the case that the post office was in charge of recompensing the victims of a scandal they were directly involved in. And I just, it's such a complicated thing and so combative. Um, 
DBT and post office themselves are actually administering the compensation schemes of which there are three. Um, I, obviously I'm involved in one of those compensation schemes. The, the victims are traumatized. It's, you know, it's been a long time, over 25 years, and 135 million pounds has been paid to some of the victims. But we've had 150 million pounds plus paid to lawyers. You know, these lawyers are putting lots of pressure. It's difficult. The, the whole schemes are difficult. Um, we're just normal people, run-of-the-mill people. We, we, we have legal people with us, but it's so difficult. It's like a war. Um, and, you know, why is that? Why would anybody put, um, put post office and DBT in charge of, of recompensing the victims? An election also looms in the US with polls suggesting the embattled Donald Trump could beat Joe Biden despite his legal issues. Former Vice President Mike Pence was very critical of both frontrunners, telling Frost it was fairly remarkable to think about the choice on offer to Americans. He suggested that the Supreme Court should allow Trump to be on the ballot, but said he hoped that the Republican Party would give the people an opportunity for new leadership. Uh, it's... <laughs> It's, uh, it's, it's fairly remarkable when you, you think about where we find ourselves with the front runners in either party today. But um, uh, for me, I, I continue to be hopeful that when the votes start to be counted, uh, uh, you're going to see what I perceived when I was uh, campaigning as a candidate for the Republican nomination. And that is that, uh, number one, I think there's great appreciation for what we accomplished during our administration. And there's great frustration uh, with the way the Biden administration has weakened America at home and abroad. But my second sense was also that the American people, uh, the American people are open to new leadership. And uh, that's while I'm not a candidate myself, I, uh, I, I stepped aside from the race to make room for others that might have a greater opportunity to do that. And I continue to be hopeful uh, that our that our party will uh, give the American people an opportunity for a new beginning. Because as as I as I saw traveling around Israel uh, this week, uh, and as I, we all have witnessed around the world from uh, uh, the widening security threats here in the Middle East, to Eastern Europe, potentially in the Asia Pacific, to the struggles in our economy, the crisis at the American border, we need new leadership and we need leadership that can bring our country together and move our country forward. Finally, speaking to Coonsberg, Bridget Phillipson outlined Labour's plan to install mental health counsellors in every secondary school to improve attendance. Coonsberg pointed out that Philipson had actually used quite accusatory language, blaming irresponsible parents for their relaxed attitude to school attendance and saying it was harming other children's life chances. She also reminded Philipson of a previous interview in which she had claimed such language was unhelpful. Philipson claimed her previous comments were in the context of a discussion about fines and penalties and that in this case, she was specifically talking about parents who take their children out of school for holidays or when it wasn't necessary. Philipson said persistent absenteeism was the biggest barrier to raising standards in education. We will guarantee mental health counsellors in every secondary school alongside that breakfast clubs in our primary schools too to make it easier for our primary school children. There is a lot that government can do and it's about that partnership that reset and rebuilding of the relationship between government and schools, but also between schools and families. You've been a bit more stern than that, though, if I may say. You've said in the Sunday Times, increasingly, parents have quite a relaxed attitude mm. to children's attendance at school. 
irresponsible parents who don't care about sending their kids to school are harming other kids' life chances, not just their own. So how many parents do you think are being irresponsible? I think those parents that choose to take their children out of school for holidays or for trips or where it's not necessary should reflect seriously because that damages children's life chances. They only get one chance at school. They only get one childhood. For those parents who are facing additional challenges and for children that are facing additional challenges, an incoming Labour government will make sure that we put in place the support that's needed to tackle that. But I do believe very, very strongly that yes, it's tough, but the thing that we have to do as parents in the best interests of our children is making sure they are in school. And that's why this week I'll be setting out, setting out Labour's long-term plan for how we deliver that and how we make sure that high and rising standards are a feature of our school system. Unless we have children in school, we just can't deliver that. And you'll be making that big speech on Tuesday, but it's interesting you are now using this language and saying that some parents are irresponsible because we asked you about this in September and you said, actually, I don't think it's helpful to talk in that kind of language, lecturing people. Mm. It's not effective to do that without supporting them. So yeah. what's, what's changed your mind? Because you um, are now saying there are lots of parents in this country who are irresponsible. That was in the context of a discussion around fines and penalties. I don't think that's the answer. I don't think ratcheting up uh, fines and penalties is the way to do it. But if I were Education Secretary right now, the clear message I'd be sending to parents is that every day at school matters. Because I want to make sure that we give all of our children the best possible start in life. They can't receive a brilliant education. We can't deliver high and rising standards in our schools if children aren't there. And currently, persistent absenteeism is the biggest barrier we are facing as a country in order to deliver that. That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman and this podcast was produced by Joe Bidell Brill. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffee House Shots podcast on the iTunes store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily evening blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week.